0: Welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Frances. Looking at the front page of today's Sioux City Journal, the big story, um, Schoner Scott sworn into office. And the second story is fully funding preschool, a priority for legislature and King endorses Ramaswamy. So we'll start with the big story. It shows a photograph uh, the caption is Dan Moore, Mayor Pro Tem of Sioux City, shakes hands with council member Julie Schoner after she was sworn into the city council at Sioux City City Hall in Sioux City on Tuesday. The subheading is Ceremony Held in City Council Chambers Tuesday. This is from Dolly A. Butts of the Journal. Second term Sioux City Councilwoman Julie Schoner said Tuesday that she's looking forward to the quote, wonderful and exciting opportunities as well as the challenges that come along with serving another four years on the city council shoner a businesswoman who previously owned and operated soho american kitchen and bar made the remarks after taking the oath of office in the city council chambers in front of her husband son daughter and five grandchildren shoner and mayor bob scott were sworn in by district judge patrick Tott during a special ceremony held at City Hall. Quote, this is an exciting day for me because it's the first time I can remember that I have every family member but one here, said Scott, Sioux City's longest serving mayor, who ran unopposed. Scott has served a total of 24 years on the council and a combined 19 years as mayor. Quote, thank you to my wife who's allowed me to do this for an awful long time and has never complained about anything, unquote. Scott, the owner of the R.E. Scott Company, a tax preparation service, has served four stretches as the mayor of Sioux City. He was first elected to the council in 1985 and re-elected in 89 and 93. Between 1990 and 1998, he served as mayor for seven of those years. Back then, The mayor was chosen by the five council members. After a 14-year absence on the council, Scott was directly elected as mayor by voters in 2011. He also won re-election to four-year terms in 2015 and 2019. Quote, Thanks to the city staff, we have a great staff here, and it makes the job enjoyable when you have a staff that cooperates and does what's best for the citizens, he said. His quote continues, Most importantly, thanks to the voters who have allowed me time and time again to serve. It means a lot uh, to be able to win an election, which you all know is rewarding to say the least. The November 7th municipal election was a nail-biter between Schoner and challenger Tom Murphy, who served as the city's chief building inspector before retiring. Schoner, whose campaign slogan was, I Dream Big for Sioux City, took 50% of the vote to Murphy's 49%. She topped Murphy by 113 votes, according to unofficial election results. And the raw numbers are 3,158 to 3,045. Schoner also defeated Murphy in the primary, netting 42% of the vote to Murphy's 31. Another challenger, Trisha Frederick, Vice President of Mortgage Lending at Guaranteed Rate, received 26% of the vote and did not advance to the general election. During the election, Shoner listed her top priorities as housing, homelessness, public safety and the wastewater treatment plant. Quote, I really do look forward to the challenge of four more years. Thank you to the voters for voting me back in for another four years. And thank you to city staff for everything that you do, Shoner said. Councilman Dan Moore, a Sioux City attorney, will again serve as mayor pro tem at Scott's request. Moore was elected to his third four-year term on the City Council in 2021. He was first appointed by Scott to serve as mayor pro tem in January 2016. As mayor pro tem, Moore acts as a vice mayor or a second-in-command. He's happy to deliver remarks at an event or wield the mayor's gavel when needed. Quote, thank you, mayor, for having the confidence in me to serve as your mayor pro tem. It's an appointment that I take seriously, Moore told Scott. And he continued, I always consider myself on call because I love representing this council. As the mayor said, we have a great council here. We can agree to disagree, but we are not disagreeable, Next story from the front page, fully funding preschool a priority for schools. School officials ask lawmakers, to increase state supplemental aid by 5%. And this is from Grace King. Iowa educators are asking state lawmakers this year to fully fund preschool for four-year-olds, saying it's an essential component in closing learning achievement gaps and getting parents back to work. School leaders also are asking for a 5% increase to state supplemental aid well over recent increases to the per-pupil funding stream as schools struggle to keep up with inflation and attract and retain staff. Iowa's statewide voluntary preschool program now provides funding to offer free half-day preschool to four-year-olds. But half-day programs can be a barrier for working families who are unable to find childcare before or after or find transportation for their kids. One large district in the state, the Cedar Rapids Community School District, last year opened its first full day preschool program with the help of short-term pandemic relief funding, which is set to expire in September. After two years of the program at the Truman Early Learning Center being funded by federal dollars, the American Rescue Plan Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief, the district will have to resort, resort rather to state funding that now funds the preschool at half the usual per pupil rate. Last February, Carla Hogan, Cedar Rapids School's Executive Director of Business Services, said the district is, quote, banking or saving state funds that it is receiving for preschool to continue budgeting for full day programming for the 2024 20, 25 school year. Iowa House Speaker Pat Grassley, Republican of New Hartford, said while fully funding four-year-old preschool could be a conversation for lawmakers this upcoming legislative session, he said he doesn't want to, quote, commit to anything until priorities are set by the governor. Similarly, Iowa Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitfer, Republican of Grimes, said he also was waiting to hear what Governor Reynolds would propose. Reynolds, who will lay out her legislative agenda in a January 9th condition of the state address, declined to be interviewed for this series of legislative previews. The state spends about 43% of its general fund budget on K-12 education, according to the Nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency. For fiscal 2024, the current budget year, lawmakers approved about $3.7 billion for public K-12 education, out of an overall state budget of about $8.5 billion. Fully funding four-year-old preschool is a great idea that Democrat lawmakers have been pushing for a long time, said House Minority Leader Jennifer Confirst, Democrat of Windsor Heights. Quote, we know that reading and math scores are better when kids go to preschool, she said. Let's make it more available to all Iowa kids. I have some hope that could happen this year. I'm hearing a more diverse coalition is coming forward to speak to the importance of preschool converse said it's important that the iowa legislature quote refocus our energies on public education this year about 500 kids uh, go to public schools in the state she said a much smaller number go to private schools and yet all of the education policy has been about funding and the attention republicans have placed on private schools in may reynolds said She hopes to address the Iowa public school teacher salaries during this legislative session, which begins on Monday. Reynolds said she has been told by rural school administrators that the issue of teacher salaries is especially critical in their districts as they struggle to attract and retain workers. They weren't able to pay a lot of times as much as some of the more urban school districts were able to pay, Reynolds said, during a a May appearance on Iowa Press on Iowa PBS. Whiffer said teacher pay and funding for four-year-old preschool are issues of interest to Republicans in the Senate. But with much of the debate over the last two years, being focused on using state funding to pay for private school tuition, quote, I don't know exactly where either one of them goes yet, unquote, in this session. The quote continues, but we know, and I know, That 90% of our kids and probably 95% of our education money is going to continue to go to public schools. And we need to make sure that kids all over the state are getting the services they need and the education they need, he said. And so teacher salaries is part of that conversation. And we look forward to having that conversation, unquote. Iowa's average full-time teacher salary in the 2022-23 school year was just above $63,000, according to state... Uh, education department data. In the 21-22 school year, the average was 59581 which put Iowa as 27th in in the nation in teacher pay, according to the National Education Association. Quote, we've known for a long time that teachers need to be paid better, Confer said. We want to make sure that that what Reynolds announces is actually something that's going to help. Are we only going to raise teacher pay for incoming teachers, which is great, but what about the teachers who've been there for 20 years?" State supplemental aid, which is based on the number of students attending a school district, runs a year behind. Student counts from October of 23 will be used to determine funding for the fiscal 2025 budget. This funding stream is crucial for districts to manage operating costs, reduce class sizes, retain high-quality staff, and make up for decades of underfunding, educators say. Cedar Rapids School Board President Cindy Garlock said the 3% increase in state aid schools received last year quote, is not enough to keep up with inflation, unquote. The cost of operating a school district increases by about 3 to 4% each year, according to school administrators of Iowa. However, over the last 10 years, state aid has increased at a rate of less than 2.1% a year on average iowa lawmakers must set the growth rate for state supplemental aid in the first 30 days of each session from march 2021 to march 2022 inflation reached an 8.5% or inflation reached 8.5% in iowa many school boards in the state are asking for an increase of at least 5% Quote, attracting staff to Iowa and our school districts is at a critical place, Garlock Garlock said at a school board meeting last month where lawmakers were present. The quote continues, without competitive salaries, that is going to continue to be a problem. State supplemental aid affects everything from staffing to the programs we can offer, unquote. The Cedar Rapids School Board is also asking lawmakers, to give additional funding through state supplemental aid for students experiencing poverty the roughly 16000 student cedar rapids district the roughly 16000 student cedar rapids district filled 148 teaching positions ahead of the 23-24 school year but some positions were left unfilled said cedar rapids school board member nancy humbles she attributed this partially to the wage gap between educators and other professionals. Story from the front page, Steve King endorses Vivek Ramaswamy for president ahead of the Iowa caucuses. And there's a photo of former U.S. Representative Steve King speaking at a podium at a town hall meeting in 2020. Former Iowa 4th District Congressman Steve King on Tuesday endorsed Vivek Ramaswamy for the Republican nomination for president less than two weeks before the the first-in-the-nation caucuses in his home state. King, a conservative firebrand who honed a national reputation for a series of incendiary comments on race and immigration during his nine terms representing western and north-central Iowa in the U.S. House, had been a steadfast supporter of former President Donald Trump, who holds commanding leads in GOP polls in his bid to return to the White House. But in a statement the Ramaswamy campaign shared with the journal, King said the Ohio entrepreneur best shares his views on immigration, the treatment of protesters charged in the January 6, 2021 riot at the Capitol, and the use of eminent domain to build carbon capture pipelines in Iowa. In recent weeks, King has been appearing with Ramaswamy at some campaign events across Iowa, including one in Buena Vista County at a Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy event Tuesday night at the Tanglewood Hills Pavilion in Bettendorf, the campaign showed a video of King making a formal endorsement. Quote, Vivek Ramaswamy is going to shock the world at the Iowa caucus because he is the only candidate in this race who's had the courage to oppose the CO2 pipelines here in Iowa, to publicly oppose the climate change cult, to commit to pardon peaceful January 6th protesters on day one, and to end birthright citizenship for kids of illegals in this country, King said in a statement. It continues, If you want someone who's going to take on the deep state and speak truth to power, then vote for someone who is going to speak the truth to you. Join me, January 15, in voting for Vivek Ramaswamy, the next president of the United States, unquote. King, age 74, won 10 straight elections, once for the state Senate in 1996 and nine for the U.S. House, before losing in the 2020 Republican primary for the 4th District to State Senator Randy Feenstra, who won 45.7% of the vote to King's 38.7%. The defeat came in the wake of controversial comments King made a year earlier in an interview with the New York Times. In a January 2019 story on immigration, King was quoted as asking, Quote, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization, how did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization? Unquote. The published remarks fueled a national backlash that prompted a GOP House, G, GOP house leaders to strip him of his committee assignments. The full House also passed a resolution condemning white supremacy and white nationalism. King repeatedly insisted the Times reporter misquoted him and that Republican leaders were too skittish over the fallout to reinstate him to his committees. After leaving office, King published a tell-all book critical of what he describes as the party establishment. Most recently, King has been an outspoken opponent of pipelines proposed for Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, and South Dakota that would transport CO2 from ethanol plants and sending the liquid to Illinois and North Dakota, where it would be stored underground. King, whose former district has become a hotbed for opposition to the projects, has objected to the use of eminent domain to obtain right of way to bury the pipes. Ramaswamy has called the CO2 pipelines, quote, the greatest violation of property rights. Like King, Ramaswamy has no love lost for the Republican Party with the so-called establishment of both major political parties serving as a frequent target of his attacks. The son of Indian immigrants has said he is using the GOP as a quote, vehicle to advance his agenda. And the only other local piece of content in today's Sioux City Journal is a tiny story that says Dimitri is first baby born in Sioux City in 2024. The first baby born in Sioux City is Dimitri, said Unity Point Health St. Luke's in an announcement on Tuesday. Dimitri, whose last name was not given, was born at 1 a.m. New Year's Day. The parents are not identified. Unity Point is the sole provider of childbirth care services in Sioux City. Mercy One Siouxland Medical Center discontinued its obstetrical services in 2020. And then, of course, it's accompanied by a photo of a tiny, tiny little guy in a uh, scowling at the at the world um, in a little newborn blanket and a tiny hat. So that's absolutely it for local content in the paper today. That includes um, there are no obituaries, no opinions um, and no local sports. So having said that, I'll turn to national and world news um, on page A3. I'll go through the digest. Trump Appeals Maine Officials' Ballot Decision, Dateline Portland. Former President Donald Trump on Tuesday appealed a ruling by Maine's Secretary of State, barring him from the state's primary ballot over his role in the January 6, 2021 rather, attack on the U.S. Capitol. The 2024 Republican frontrunner appealed the decision by Maine Democrat Shenna Bellows, was the first secretary of state to bar someone from running for president under the 14th amendment's section three which prohibits those who engaged who quote engaged in insurrection from holding office trump's lawyers argue the provision is not intended to apply to the president and the oath for the office isn't to support the constitution but to preserve protect and defend it the appeal to a main superior court asks the Bellows be required to place him on the March 5 primary ballot. Trump is expected to appeal a similar ban in Colorado to the U.S. Supreme Court. Another uh, brief, new details added to Menendez indictment, Dateline New York. U.S. Senator Bob Menendez publicly supported the government of Qatar and enabled a member of the Qatari royal family, a principal in a company with ties to the government of Qatar, to invest tens of millions of dollars in a New Jersey businessman's real estate project, a revised indictment alleged on Tuesday. No new charges were added. The superseding indictment did not identify the member of the Qatari royal family, but said the individual was the principal of the Qatari Investment Company. Menendez, a Democrat of New Jersey, already was charged with wielding his political influence to secretly advance Egypt's interest. The indictment said the Kintari investor eventually negotiated a multi-million dollar investment in the real estate project planned by Fred Dabes, one of three businessmen charged in the bribery conspiracy indictment with the 70-year-old senator and his wife. All have pleaded not guilty. And then we have some short briefs. Ukraine war. Ukraine's two largest cities came under attack early Tuesday from Russian missiles that killed five people, injured as many as 130, officials said, as the war approaches its two-year mark. Michael Cohen, an appeals court, said Tuesday that Michael Cohen cannot hold his former boss, ex-president Donald Trump, liable for Cohen being jailed for what he claimed was retaliation for writing a tell-all memoir. Next brief. Crash, the driver tentatively identified as Michael Avery, age 35 of the Syracuse area, who crashed an SUV loaded with gas cans outside a New York concert venue, appeared to be aiming at a pedestrian crossing, but there's no evidence of a terror motive in the fiery wreck that killed him and two others on New Year's Day, police said Tuesday. Quake, a small 2.3 magnitude earthquake shook the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C. early Tuesday, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. And scheme. A 17-year-old exchange student from China, reported missing last week in Utah, was found safe Sunday in what officials said was an apparent cyber-kidnapping scheme to extort $80,000 from the student's family in China. In a larger story, airstrike hits Beirut one of Hamas's top leaders killed, risk of escalation increases. This is from the Associated Press, Dateline Beirut. An apparent Israeli strike in Lebanon's capital, Beirut, killed Hamas's number two political leader Tuesday, marking a potentially significant escalation of Israeli's war against the militant group and heightening the risk of a wider Middle East conflict. Saleh Arouri, who was the most senior Hamas figure killed since the war with Israel began October 7th, was also a founder of the group's military wing. His death could provoke major retaliation by Lebanon's powerful Hezbollah militia. The strike hit an apartment building in a Shiite district of Beirut that is a Hezbollah stronghold, and Hezbollah leader Sayed Hassan Nasrallah has vowed to strike back against any Israeli targeting of Palestinian officials in Lebanon, Hezbollah and the Israeli military have been exchanging fire almost daily over the Israeli Lebanese border since Israel's military campaign in Gaza began nearly three months ago. But so far, the Lebanese group has appeared reluctant to dramatically escalate the fighting. A significant response now could send the conflict spiraling into an all out war on Israel's northern border. Lebanon's state-run national news agency said the strike was carried out by an Israeli drone and Israeli officials declined to comment. Speaking to reporters, Israeli military spokesman Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari did not directly mention Aurori's death but said, quote, we are focused and remain focused on fighting against Hamas. We are on high readiness for any scenario, unquote. The killing comes ahead of a visit to the region by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, even as the United States has tried to prevent the conflict from spreading, warning Hezbollah and its regional supporter Iran not to escalate the violence. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed to press ahead with the assault in Gaza until Hamas is crushed, and the more than 100 hostages still held by the militant group in gaza are freed which he has said could take several more months at the same time israeli officials have increasingly warned in recent days of stepped up action against hezbollah unless its cross-border fire stops also on tuesday officials said israel will defend itself before the united nations top, top court against charges that it has engaged in genocide of Palestinians in Gaza. Then the next big story, officials warn of more quakes in Japan, and it shows a photo of a firefighter walking through the rubble and the wreckage of a burned-out marketplace. Uh, The photo was taken Tuesday in Wajima-Ishikawa Prefecture after a powerful earthquake hit there Monday. Amid aftershocks, Death toll rises to sixty two many homes destroyed. Dateline Wajima A series of powerful earthquakes that hit western Japan have left at least sixty two people dead and damaged thousands of buildings, vehicles, and boats. Officials warned Tuesday that more quakes could lie ahead. Aftershocks continued to shake the Ishikawa prefecture and nearby areas after a magnitude seven point six earthquake slammed the area damage was so great that it could not immediately be assessed japanese media reports said that tens of thousands of homes were destroyed dozens of people have been seriously injured including in nearby prefectures water power and cell services were still down in some areas residents expressed sorrow about their uncertain futures quote it's not just that it's a mess the wall has collapsed And you can see through to the next room. I don't think we can live here anymore, said Mickey Kobayashi, a resident, as she swept around her house. The house was also damaged in a 2007 quake, she said. Although casualty numbers continued to climb, the prompt public warnings relayed on broadcasts and phones, and the quick response from the general public and officials appeared to have limited some of the damage. A University of Tokyo professor specializing in disasters said people were prepared because the area had been hit by quakes in recent years. They had evacuation plans and emergency supplies in stock. Quote, there are probably no people on earth who are as disaster ready as the Japanese, he told the Associated Press. Japan is frequently hit by earthquakes because of its location along the ring of fire as an arc of volcanoes and fault lines in the Pacific Basin. He warned that the situation remains unpredictable. The March 2011 quake and tsunami in Northeastern Japan had been preceded by other quakes. This is far from over, he said, adding, having too much confidence in the power of science is very dangerous. We are dealing with nature. And here's a reminder that you're listening to IRIS, the Iowa radio reading information service for the blind and print handicapped. You can catch uh, recordings of this and all of our local programs on our website, iowaradioreading.org. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and we'll continue on with uh, news from the national page. Amid criticism, Harvard president stepping down. She faced backlash for testimony adhering hearing an alleged plagiarism. This is from the Associated Press. Harvard University President Claudine Gay resigned Tuesday amid plagiarism accusations and criticism over testimony at a congressional hearing where she was unable to say unequivocally that calls on campus for the genocide of Jews would violate the school's conduct policy. Gay is the second Ivy League president to resign in the past month following the congressional testimony. Liz McGill, president of the University of Pennsylvania, resigned on December 9. Gay, Harvard's first black president, announced her departure just months into her tenure in a letter to the Harvard community. After the hearing, conservative activists unearthed several instances of alleged plagiarism in Gay's 1997 doctoral dissertation. Harvard's governing board initially rallied behind her, saying a review of her scholarly work turned up, quote, a few instances of inadequate citation but no evidence of research misconduct. Days later, the Harvard Corporation revealed that it found two additional examples of, quote, duplicative language without appropriate attribution, unquote. The board said Gay would update her dissertation and request corrections. Next national story, national debt hits 34 trillion earlier than projected. Deal reached in June to stave off default ends in early 2025. This is from the Associated Press. The federal government's gross national debt surpassed $34 trillion, a record high that foreshadows the coming political and economic challenges to improve America's balance sheet in the coming years. The U.S. Treasury Department issued a report Tuesday logging U.S. finances, which have become a source of tension in a politically divided Washington. They could see parts of the government shut down without an annual budget in place. Republican lawmakers in the White House agreed last June to temporarily lift the debt limit, staving off the risk of an historic default. That agreement lasts until January of 2025. The Congressional Budget Office's January 2020 projections had gross federal debt eclipsing $34 trillion in fiscal year 2029 however the debt grew faster than expected because of the pandemic that started in 2020 and shut down much of the u.s economy the government borrowed heavily under then president donald trump and current president joe biden to stabilize the co- the economy and support a recovery but the rebound came with a surge of inflation Next story from the environment page lawsuits target deforestation um, this is from the Associated Press. Authorities in a western Brazil state are targeting deforestation of the Amazon with a slew of lawsuits against slaughterhouses and farmers accused of illegally raising cattle in a protected area. The lawsuits seek millions of dollars for environmental damage in the Jockey Paraná Reserve. That's an area that was once rainforest. It's now mostly grassland after decades of misuse by land grabbers, loggers, and cattle ranchers. The state of Rodania, Rodania brought the lawsuits against meat processing giant JBS and three smaller slaughterhouses, haus- along with farmers accused of raising and selling cattle illegally. Prosecutors say the evidence was provided by the ranchers themselves. The Associated Press and Agencia Publica which is a Brazilian nonprofit news agency, examined the 17 lawsuits as part of a collaboration that included visiting uh, the province to view damage to the reserve and to interview people who said they were forced from their homes there by land grabbers using threats and violence. Some takeaways from the work. Three lawsuits named JBS along with farmers who allegedly provided 227 cattle raised in the province to the world's largest meat producer. Those lawsuits seek some $3.4 million in damages to the reserve. The company declined to answer questions about the lawsuits, saying that JBS has not been summoned by the court. Three smaller meat packing companies also accused in lawsuits of buying illegal cattle from JC Piranha, uh, different, and then it lists off a bunch of words I can't, they're all different provinces. anyway. Um, three smaller meatpacking companies did not respond to questions. Evidence in the lawsuits includes transfer documents for cows that show them coming from within that reserve. The documentation was a likely result of many land grabbers seeking to demonstrate their occupancy of protected lands under former far-right president Jair Bolsonaro, who strongly supported development in the Amazon. Rodania's governor, a staunch Bolisaro ally, actually signed a law in 2021 to shrink the reserve by 90%, though that law was later invalidated. Illegal trade in cattle raised in the rainforest has been a persistent problem, and Brazil's federal prosecutor scrutinizes cattle sales to try to counter the deforestation that results. JBS operates four slaughterhouses in Rodania, on Brazil's border with Bolivia. An audit published in October found that 12% of the cattle purchased by them came from illegally deforested areas. The cattle from the reserve may have ended up on American tables, both Fregon and the two JBS plants that allegedly bought from illegal farmers there exported that beef to the U.S. and several other countries according to a company that uses customs records to track international trade a report included in court papers pegs damage to the reserve at about a billion dollars some of the money sought in the lawsuits is intended to help cover the high costs of reforestation journalists visited the reserve in july to see on the ground what satellite imagery had shown from space The only forested areas left in the more than 760 square mile preserve are along the the J.C. Parana, and Branco rivers. Almost 80% of the reserve, or an area roughly the size of Los Angeles, has been destroyed. Deforestation is a major concern for the Amazon rainforest, where many seek to profit from its vast resources through mining, timber harvesting, agriculture and more besides harming a critical biosphere the development pressure also threatens a critical carbon sink for a planet that's warming dangerously from climate change dozens of families who made their living by tapping rubber trees and harvesting brazil nuts inside the reserve were forcibly removed lincoln fernandez de lima age 45 whose family lived in the area for three generations described how land grabbers methodically removing timber or shooting up or destroying the homes of residents. Lima said he was visited in September by two armed men who told him their boss acquired the area. They gave him 24 hours to leave. He said it was the third time he'd been forced out of the reserve. Five days later, his neighbor's home was burned to the ground. Jasi Pirana Village has also been the home of Rosa Maria Lopez. She was born in 1952 in a rubber grove inside the reserve. She said her family lived in the same area for more than a century before they were pushed out by cattle farmers. The place where she grew up is now a pasture. There's nothing left there, she told the AP. No one talks about Brazil nuts, um, copaiba, which is an oil producing tree or rubber anymore. There's no talk about corn, pumpkin, or whatever is served on the table. It's only cattle, farms, and pasture. Are we only going to eat grass, she said. And here's from the economy page. Self-checkouts reckoning. Technology not quite the panacea everyone thought it would be. This is from the Associated Press. The promise of self-checkout was alluring. Customers could avoid long lines by scanning and bagging their own items, workers could be freed of doing those monotonous tasks themselves, and retailers could save on labor costs. All that has happened since the rollout of self-checkout, but so is this. Customers griping about clunky technology that spits out mysterious error codes, workers having to stand around and monitor both humans and machines, and retailers contending with theft. Going to the grocery store used to be simple, and now it's frustrating said Cindy Whittenton, age 66, of Fairfax, Virginia. You're paying more. You're working harder to pay for merchandise at their store, and it's becoming an ordeal to check out. I should get a 5% discount, she said. In 2021, self-checkout usage represented 30% of transactions, almost double from 2018, according to a survey of retailers from FMI, which is an industry group and 96% of retailers surveyed offered self-checkout. But the technology is also facing a reckoning. Some retailers are adding restrictions while others are pulling out completely. This past fall, Walmart removed self-checkout kiosks in three stores in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as part of a location-by-location approach, but on the whole, it is adding more than it is taking away. To reduce wait times, Target now limits the number of items to 10 that shoppers can scan in a handful of stores nationwide. British supermarket chain Booth's has been getting rid of its self-checkout at the majority of its stores for the past 18 months in a reaction to consumer backlash. A year ago, grocery chain Wegmans, citing, losses, discontinued its self-checkout app that lets shoppers scan and bag items while they shop however it continues to offer self-checkout registers at its stores self-checkout first tested in supermarkets in the late 1980s gained momentum 20 years ago but grocers ramped it up even more three years ago to address the pandemic induced labor shortages the bureau of labor statistics says technological advances such as self-checkout and online sales have been the main driver in the declining number of cashier jobs, although there are no precise estimates on how many cashiers have been replaced by self-checkout. According to Labor Department data, there are about 1.2 million people currently working as cashiers, compared to 1.4 million in 2019. And the BLS expects the number to fall an additional 10% over the next decade. Quote, we are at an inflection point where if Americans are willing to do this and show an interest, then stores will probably expand it because they want to slash that labor cost said Christopher Andrews, who is an associate professor and chair of sociology at drew university and the author of the overworked consumer self checkouts, supermarkets and the do it yourself economy. He continues, but right now they're just seeing downside. They're seeing frustrated customers. They're seeing increased costs and in shoplifting. Theft is indeed a problem. Andrew said a technology that relies on shoppers to do their own scanning and punch in product quantities, tempts even law-abiding citizens to be honest, dishonest. Rather, It's easy to just scan every other item or punch in codes for a cheaper item. Shoppers could also make honest mistakes, leading to losses for stores. John Katsimatitis, Chairman and CEO of the Red Apple Group, um, owner of a couple of food stores in New York City, said he has no interest in self-checkout because of theft, and he noted that the technology is not yet where it needs to be. Dishonest people will always find a way to slip a package through, he said. Still, self-checkout isn't going away, especially with stubborn labor shortages, and plenty of people love it. Ellen Wolfhorst, age 65, said using self-checkout brings back her childhood when she played with a toy cash register. There's something childish and fun about it, she said. I get a big kick out of sliding the product across the reader and it goes beep. There's a certain satisfaction to it. For Robin Wisman-Doherty of South Salem, New York, who's been a progressive neurodegenerative disease, who has a neurodegenerative disease, and uses a Walker self-checkout makes her shopping experience easy. This 67 year old said she likes to shop at stop and shop because it has a scan and go technology that allows her to scan her items with a device as she shops and then tallies up her bill. She can either pay at a kiosk or at a manned register. The laser gun works for disabled people. She said, Stu Leonard Jr president and CEO of Stu Leonard's, which is a supermarket chain that operates stores in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey said 25% of its customers use self-service. That number could be up to 50% in the next few years. He noted that one third of its registers are unmanned, but he's in a quote, holding pattern and is thinking of limiting the number of items to be scanned. Retailers have been adding cameras and sensors at kiosks to monitor shoppers. Kroger, for example, has deployed artificial intelligence technology at a majority of stores that triggers alerts when something is amiss. For example, if a shopper fails to scan a particular item successfully, the system flags the error on the screen and prompts the customer to self-correct. If customers are unable to resolve the problem, a light above the self-checkout blinks to attract a worker. There have been inroads for more advanced technology. Amazon's just Walk Out technology is in more than 70 Amazon-owned stores and more than 100 third-party retailers across the U.S., including airports. It uses sophisticated cameras and allows shoppers to enter the store with a credit or debit card or by simply hovering their palm, over an Amazon One Palm Payout payment device, and then walk out without having to stand in line at a register to check out. Japanese fashion retailer UniGlo has RFID chips embedded in price tags to power a self-out checkout system at its Fifth Avenue store in Manhattan as part of a wide-scale rollout at its stores. Customers place their items in bins at self-service stations and pay without having to scan the items still for some workers who were supposed to be liberated from the monotonous task of ringing up customers the tedium just comes now in a different form bernadette christian age 59 a worker at giant food in clinton maryland takes care of six self-service stations at once and she's afraid to help or confront shoppers who she said, have become angrier since the pandemic. Quote, it would be easy for us to be cashiers, and it would be a lot more safe in today's world, she said. And as I mentioned, we don't have any local sports, but here are a couple articles from the sports page um, college basketball top 25. Bacot reaches 2,000 career points. Armando Bacot had 16 points and 10 rebounds. RJ Davis added 15 points and four assists. And number eight, North Carolina, pulled away from Pittsburgh, 70 to 57 Tuesday night. McCott be- became the seventh player in program history to reach the 2,000 points in his career. He now sits at 2,003. That's four points behind Charlie Scott for sixth on the school's career list. The Tar Heels used Davis's shot making and their size advantage to muscle their way past the Panthers. North Carolina out-rebounded Pitt 51-41 to and had a 15-1 advantage in second-chance points to beat Pitt for just the second time in their last seven meetings. Bob Carrington led the Panthers with 20 points, and Jalen Lowe added 10. Senior forward Blake Hinson was held to 11 points, that's 8 below his average, on 4-of-16 shooting as Pitt lost its second straight davis gave the tar heels the lead for good with a three-pointer pointer at the halftime buzzer and north carolina simply wore down the panthers number one purdue 67 maryland 53. zach edie had 23 points and 12 rebounds and purdue cruised past maryland to snap the terrapins 19 game home winning streak the boilermakers won their sixth straight having little difficulty with this offensively challenged Maryland team. Jameer Young scored 26 points for the Terps. Number four, Connecticut, 85, DePaul, 56. Cam Spencer scored 20 points to lead UConn in a route of visiting DePaul. The graduate transfer from Rutgers shot seven for 11 from the field, including four of seven from three point range. Deshaun Nelson led DePaul with 19 points. This was the Huskies 17th straight win over the Blue Demons. Number 5, Tennessee 87 Norfolk State 50. Zakai Ziegler scored 17 points and had four assists to lead Tennessee past Norfolk State. Toby Awaka Awaka collected 10 points and 11 rebounds as the Volunteers won their 6th straight game and 10th straight at home. Number 9, Illinois 96, Northwestern 66. Marcus Damask scored 32 points and had a team-high 6 assists to lead Illinois over visiting Northwestern in the Illini's second game without suspended star Terrence Shannon Jr. Damask was 11 of 15 from the field and 9 of 10 from the line. Number 14, Duke, 86, Syracuse, 66. Mark Mitchell scored 18 of his career-high 21 points in the first half. Jared McCain finished with 18 points as Duke beat visiting Syracuse. The Blue Devils increased their winning streak to five games. Malik Brown had 26 points on 11-for-16 shooting for the Orange. Number 17, Florida Atlantic, 79, East Carolina, 64. Janelle Davis and Elijah Martin each scored 20 points, and Florida Atlantic shook off a slow start to defeat East visiting East Carolina in the Owls' first game as a member of the AAC. FAU went on a 14-0 run in the closing minutes. Number 18, Baylor 98, Cornell 79. Jacoby Walter scored 23 points. Fellow freshman Yves Missy added 16 while making all eight of his shots and Baylor christened the brand new Foster Pavilion with a victory over Cornell. Number 21, Wisconsin 83, Iowa 72. Tyler Wall scored 19 points, Stephen Crowell had a double-double, and Wisconsin beat visiting Iowa. The Badgers pulled away after the game was tied at halftime by shooting 58.3% over the last 20 minutes. Crowell added 14 points and a career high thirteen rebounds. Tony Perkins scored twenty five points for the Hawkeyes. And number twenty-five Auburn eighty-eight, Penn 68. Johnny Broom had twenty-two points and twelve rebounds to lead Auburn over visiting Penn. The Tigers won their sixth straight game one day after entering the top twenty-five for the first time this season. Another article, college football. Tech gets test run in bowl games. Coach-to-player audio, sideline tablets pitched as a way to curb sign stealing. This is from the Associated Press. Billy Edwards Jr. became a test pilot of sorts for the type of helmet communication technology that might soon become commonplace in college football, and the Maryland quarterback was a fan. I think... Overall, it's good, Edwards said, after the Terrapins beat Auburn in the Music City Bowl. On one of my runs down there at the goal line on, I think, the first or second drive, offensive coordinator Josh Gattis is up there, and most times I think I'm thinking the same thing he's saying, but he was saying they were in like a stick coverage, kind of like a zero look, and he was like, pull, pull, pull it. He just confirmed what I was thinking. In the aftermath of the Michigan sign-stealing scandal, the possibility of college teams using NFL-style communication technology has been viewed with a little more urgency. As with non-playoff bowls, sometimes looking more like 2024 exhibition games than 2023 postseason games, teams have taken advantage of the opportunity to try out various devices. Maryland had access to coach to player communication technology, as well as sideline tablets showing video of previous plays. The latter created some interesting moments for Terrapins coach, Michael Loxley. Quote, the bad part for me is I was able to see a holding call that I wanted to take it on the field and show the referee like, bro, you missed this call. What are we doing? No, it was great to have that technology. I think the way we're, we are as a developmental program, it's such a cool tool to be able to immediately reinforce so that they can see it. And then also when you guys ask me stuff at the end of the game, I can't say, well, I gotta wait to see the film. Virginia Tech was also able to use the tablets in the military bowl against Tulane, even though the game was played in a rainstorm. Offensive coordinator, Tyler Bowen, formerly a tight end coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars said the tablets were actually more useful than what he had in the NFL since video is better than still shots. Quote, you're able to see all the views that you would look at in the film room with the guys. He said in between series, we would take the footage, go through the series, match the play call with it. And then now we can give live feedback to the coaches on the field and they have the tablets as well to be able to show the players. So I think it allows you to be more detailed with your adjustments. The tablets came with obvious benefits, but the communication technology is the more significant innovation in light of all the concerns about sign stealing. It's been experimental this postseason and not available for playoff games, and some teams and other bowls decided to pass on using it. And that's all the time we have today for the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. You've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. All material heard on IRIS is intended for folks with print disabilities. You can hear this and many of our local programs as podcasts on our website, iowaradioreading.org. My name is Mary Francis. It's been my pleasure to read for you today. Have a great day.